How about I read our passage for this morning? We'll pray, and then um, we'll hear what God's Word has to say. Uh, we're, we're doing a series in um, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And um, if you've got a pew Bible, that's um, 1181, uh, verses 1 to 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come before you this new year with joyful hearts, rejoicing in all that you have done in the year past and looking forward with great expectation for what you have in this year to come. And so, Father, we can think of no better place to be than right here, sitting under the authority of your word, hearing what it has to say to us, to our hearts, our minds, our spirits, as we come together in fellowship with one another and um, aligning ourselves under our head, Christ, together with the body, the church. Father, we pray that um, from this place you would do do good things, that you would remind us of who we are and to whom we belong, and that um, you would uh, show us, Lord, that you would reveal to us uh, the amazing and mighty things that you are working out through your hand through your people, through your body, through your Son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, over the next eight weeks, we're, as you can tell, we're going to look at um, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Uh, This is a letter that was written uh, from Paul's prison cell in Rome, and we actually have uh, a photograph that... um, that my dad took when uh, he and mom were in Rome, and uh, he said, the, I think uh, there's an inscription there in Latin, and I guess my mom could read it. And she said, oh, this is where Paul was in prison in Rome. And all the tourists had no idea, and so they were taking pictures uh, frantically and then realizing that. Um, but that gives us a little bit of a picture of, what, uh, of where this letter is coming from. It, it, it's Paul's last letter. And it seems he knows that his time is coming to an end. 
And here is the great Apostle Paul sitting in a, a prison cell in the cold, in the darkness. Persecution has escalated under Nero. Uh, heretical teaching was rampant. And, and many of Paul's own followers have abandoned him, have, have deserted him. And we ask ourselves, what would Paul be thinking in a time like this? What would Paul be concerned with as he's writing this letter? What would Paul be thinking and what or what's occupying his mind? And what, it is, what is he's concerned with and, and what he's thinking about was the gospel and people. And I found this quite fitting as we begin the new year that as we reflect on the year past and as we look forward to the year ahead, we would be asking ourselves, what are we concerned with? What is it that we are focused on? And my hope is that through looking at Paul's letter to Timothy, we would have a renewed vision, that, w- that we as God's people would have a, a-, a renewed hope and a great reminder of what is truly important. And spoiler alert, it's the gospel. Now, I know at the outset that answer can sound sort of cliche or, or, or even vague. So let me explain. Uh, if you were to ask me why the gospel is worth making a priority in my life, I can take any aspect of life that, that you may consider more important and show how the gospel fits in with that particular area. The first thing you might say is that family is more important. Yes, but what informs you of uh, why family is important? It's Scripture that tells, uh, tells us that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And wives are to submit to husbands. Because what wife wouldn't want to submit to the man who will lay down his life for her and takes care of her needs the way Christ takes care of his people, the church? I'm glad she's not here, but Lindsay and I sort of jokingly would ask each other things like, do you love me more than, I don't know, something like cookies or, you know, and then we'd eventually get to where we would jokingly say, do you love me more than Jesus? And my answer was always, I love you because I love Jesus. And I was very proud of that answer. What about children? Children are important, right? The gospel tells us that we are to love our children, that we're to raise them up in the knowledge of who their maker is, that we are to show them the love of Christ, and we are to train them up in the fear and the nurture of him. In fact, Paul is writing this letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. It is far more important that we give our children the gift of the gospel then we give them the gift of the perfect school that will lead them to the right university. Or that we give them the gift of uh, material goods which will only spoil and fade. It's far better to give them the imperishable gift. If you were to say that work is more important, I would ask, what gives you a proper work ethic? 
what informs you, uh, what informs you that you are to work not as unto men, but as unto the Lord? Because we have all probably at some point worked for someone who we didn't want to work very hard for. But we chose to work hard because the gospel has freed us from the mindset that says, work as hard uh, as you think appropriate for the employer based on how valued you are or how well compensated you are. If you were to say your relationships, not just your family relationships, but your outside relationships are more important, I would ask, what gives you the grace to forgive a friend who has hurt you intentionally or unintentionally? Otherwise, your relationships are just based on reciprocity, and so you, you give out what you get back. And we could go on and on with this, but the point is that only the gospel controls all the areas of life that we value. It gives meaning and purpose to the way we act and the way we react. It gives us purpose in life. It gives us answers to when bad things happen. It reminds us that we live in a broken world, broken by sin, but those things are are unnatural. And so we look forward to the day when all the broken things are made right again, and those things are only made right again in Jesus Christ who is the good news, who is the gospel in flesh. So all that introduction to say, Paul wants Timothy to hold fast to what is true and what will last. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in these first seven verses, he seems to be doing two things. He wants Timothy to reflect or remember And he wants Timothy to know the reality. Now, we know Paul was in prison. We've seen the pictures. We we, we know where he was. He's in this terrible predicament. But what is going on with Timothy when this letter is being written? Because Timothy is in tough times himself. He has just relayed uh, the teaching of Paul's first letter to him uh, to the church in Ephesus. But that church was still under siege from heretics. Paul wrote 1 Timothy with the primary focus on the church as sort of a, a church manual. In fact, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 and 15, Paul says, I'm writing, writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Paul knew that a, a, a well-ordered church is the key is a key to people being saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth second timothy on the other hand while it does talk about false teachers and it does uh, uh, urge sound doctrine the focus is almost entirely on timothy because timothy is the man he he's the successor and it is intensely personal john calvin said It is Paul's last will and testament written not in ink, but in Paul's lifeblood. And you can feel that in the way that he writes. He wants Timothy to persevere in the ministry of the gospel. And yet, as personal as his letter is, that greeting at the beginning, 
it shows that Paul intends for this letter to be read in the church in Ephesus. It's intended for the church universal. That's partly why he begins with such a a lofty uh, and formal assertion of his apostleship. He sort of pulls out his uh, apostle badge, to borrow a phrase from Bruce. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Not exactly the way you send a letter to someone close to you, is it? But I think we need to unpack that introduction just quickly. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is a sent one. He's been given that role by the will of God. And it's the same introduction he uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. He, he has not been sent by a man. He has been sent by God. And he speaks with the authority of the Godhead when he writes to Timothy and to the churches. And, and it's not, as we said, it's not just a friendly letter. It is declaring truth. And, and it is declaring truth with authority. And he does that according to or in conformity with the good news, with the gospel. Here he calls it the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful language. The role of the apostle is to proclaim the life that is found in Christ alone. Like we said at the beginning, the gospel is what moves. The gospel is what drives. The gospel is what stirs. For it is the good news that those who are dead in sin can find life in Christ. And then we go from this high and lofty assertion of authority... And the letter makes this dramatic shift to an intimate letter. To Timothy, my beloved child. It, it, it seems strange, right? I mean, if you were reading this letter, you'd think, who's, who's he talking to? High and lofty assertion of authority. And then this close, my beloved child. You know, it made me think of, uh, you know, when you're growing up and there, there tended to be two types of dads, two types of fathers. There was that that dad who was sort of the authoritarian type who laid down the law and you were always terrified of him or or, uh, your friend's dad and you would sort of like everyone kind of hides when he comes through or or there was that near close dad uh, who was very in touch with his feelings. The thing is the Bible actually teaches that men are in some sense to be both of those things. And while we recognize that Paul's high, lofty assertion of authority was to show that the letter is not just intended for Timothy. I think in some sense, it shows that that was for Timothy as well. Timothy needs to remember that Paul doesn't just write to give him some fatherly wisdom, but he is writing with the authority of, of the Holy Spirit, that Timothy can take this and apply it, not because it comes from someone who is near and dear to him, but more so because it comes from God. And we can say the same for ourselves as we study this letter. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
it's sort of a standard that's used, but it's not just a greeting. This is what Paul wants for Timothy. Grace, we're saved by grace alone. Mercy, that inexpressible uh, uh, blessing of of deliverance uh, from the misery that sin desires and creates. And peace, that, that, that peace of mind and heart that comes from grace and mercy. And I'm sure that that was what Paul was praying for Timothy. Show him grace. Show him mercy. Give him peace. And then Paul becomes reflective. He wants Timothy to remember. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reflects on his own history. He remembers Timothy. He wants Timothy to know that he, Paul, remembers and prays for Timothy. He remembers Timothy's tears and longs to see him. He remembers and wants Timothy to remember his, Timothy's, spiritual heritage. Paul wants Timothy to remember that Paul has laid hands on Timothy uh, for the work of ministry. There's a lot of remembering. Lots of remembering. Why? Well, personally, I think... It's that Paul is in that cold and dark prison. And and sometimes when we're in a place like that, uh, uh, when we're in a bad spot, it's good to remember. It's good to reflect. It's it's not necessarily good to dwell on those things. I'm sure if if Paul spent enough time remembering Timothy's tears from whenever the last time they were together, uh, when they they left each other, if he spent too long dwelling and dwelling and dwelling on that, that, that he would probably be depressed. But there is a healthy reflecting and remembering. And through all of those rememberings, Paul has a clear conscience. Oh, the blessing of a clear conscience. What does it mean? The writer of Hebrews writes in chapter 10, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of Christ... Our conscience is made clean and clear. And when we feel convicted of sin, we bring it before our great high priest and we confess it. We we can know fully well that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to cover our sin. And it's such a picture. Paul is chained up in prison where, where... The determination of guilt and innocence awaits a verdict. And Paul knows full well that his choices may be rejected by man, may be rejected by this kingdom on earth, but so was Christ's. 
And yet both have been vindicated, or in Paul's case, soon will be in his death and and eventual eternal life. This is important to Paul because he has he's worked with others who have made a shipwreck of their faith. In his first letter to Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy uh, to wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. And then he tells of uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander who violated their conscience in respect to the, the faith that they claimed to have and so became apostate. They ignored that flashing light of conscience as they departed from the word. Then Paul reflects on his son, Timothy. Paul and Timothy seem so opposite to one another. Paul appears to be this unstoppable force. Timothy appears to be uh, you know, faint at the first sight of trouble. Timothy uh, appears to be looked down on by others. Uh, Paul is respected. Uh, Timothy... Uh, seems to have a weak constitution. You know, Paul tells him to, to have some wine to help his stomach. I mean, I couldn't imagine anything worse than having to go to a church and then read about all your frailties in front of everyone. I have a weak stomach, and Paul's telling me to drink wine. Now, everyone for the rest of time will now know this. Um, Paul, on the other hand, doesn't appear to have that issue. Uh, Timothy is shy. Uh, Paul seems to have this force, and yet... Not only did Paul love Timothy, but he believed in him. Timothy, remember your spiritual heritage. A a, a believing grandmother and mother uh, uh, of a Jewish heritage. His father is an unbelieving Gentile, but he had seen the work of God in the lives of his mother and grandmother He understood the covenants and the consistency between the Old and the New Testament. He had heard Paul preach in Lystra. And the result of all those things and God opening his eyes was a sincere faith. Timothy may have been young. Timothy may have been weak. Timothy may have been shy. But his faith was genuine. And he was sincere. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And here's the reality. We've done the remembering and now the reality. God has given Timothy a gift. And the gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift that... uh, every one of us receives when we receive Christ uh, into our hearts as, as Savior and as Lord. And the Holy Spirit does not give us fear or cowardice. He does not give us things that make us uh, shrink back from service as perhaps Timothy was tempted to do. Going back to his nature, his nature is to to pull back. But rather, the Spirit gives power to those who are weak. Oswald Chambers wrote, God can achieve his 
purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen to use nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. Peter thought he was brave and courageous when in reality he was a coward. But when he allowed the Spirit to indwell him, he had real power. Moses thought he was uh, weak and poor of speech, and God used him in miraculous ways to accomplish his will. And it begs the question, where are you? Are you the, the, the natural leader type who, who has great abilities and continue to rely on those abilities? Or are you the weak and fearful type? The answer to being used by God for gospel purposes is to submit to him. If you are the strong type like Paul, remember who has equipped you and blessed you. Ask him to shape and mold you for his purposes. If you are the hesitant, fearful type, which is my nature, like Timothy, be assured when you call upon God, he will fill you with the power of the Spirit. And I can testify to that. Then the Spirit gives love. Power, then love. In the New Testament, Love is, it's, it's, uh, it's more than a, a feeling, right? I think that's a song. Um, because it, it, what does it do? It's not just the feeling. It, 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 it eventuates itself in, in action for people. Um, it, it ends up taking the form of service for others in the power of the Holy Spirit. The love that the Spirit gives, uh, it, it stands tall, it, it perseveres. And the graces of, of power and love, they, they complement one another. The qualities flow back and forth between one another. I, I, I always think of uh, Genesis, where uh, Abraham uh, and Lot go into the land and their herdsmen are fighting with one another. And what, I mean, Abraham could have said anything. He could have said, get your people and go to the swampland, the marshland. You know, I'm, I'm obviously the, uh, the head of the family here. But he doesn't. He sort of has this meekness and he says, you know, Lot, let's not quarrel. Let's, our herdsmen are fighting. Let's not do this. Why don't you pick where you want to go and I'll just go in the opposite. And so Lot picks, you know, the, the plains of Jordan and towards the cities and, and Abraham goes... Uh, to Canaan. Power and love. Finally, the Spirit gives self-control, the, the sanity of saintliness. One commentator put it this way. Paul has in mind a measure of control over one's thinking and actions that allows a, a balanced outlook on any situation. 
When everything is coming unglued, this quality of level-headedness will keep the Christian focused calmly on the power and love that the Spirit provides, and so it makes perseverance in life and ministry possible. The concern will come again in chapter 4 when Paul commands Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded. The Spirit gives self-mastery that that enables us to lead because we have submitted ourselves to Christ. We have all been given gifts for ministry and we have all been given the Spirit and therefore we all, even those who are naturally timid, are endowed with power and with love and with self-control. And so we must be humble and wise enough to live in constant dependence on Him. If it is your own strength, it's easy to go to your nature and rely on yourself. If you're the timid person, it's easier to go back to the natural timidness of yourself. The challenge is on the strength side is forfeiting those things and putting dependence on Him. And the hard thing on the, on the weak side is trusting and, and actually stepping forward in strength, but not of your own. And so, and so I leave you with the question, what will be your focus this year? 2020, probably every church in the world is pulling out the uh, 2020 vision, you know, when 2020 vision was like the, the, the highest vision. Now it's 3020 or something. <clears throat> what, what, what's going to be your focus? What's going to be your, the thing that you're chasing after? Will you uh, attempt to be better in a, in a particular area of your life, whether it's work or home or relationships, or will you focus on the gospel? The one thing that informs and guides and shapes every area of your life. If you open yourself to be continually transformed by God through the Son, by His Spirit, He will equip you with all that you need to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better employee, to be a better friend, a better neighbor, a better son or daughter. For he has not given us a spirit of fear or cowardice, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father, I'm sure there's some of us that feel the way Timothy felt. It's, everything looks so daunting. Everything looks impossible. Everything looks challenging and difficult. And, and we don't feel resourced for what lies ahead. And yet your promises do not change. They remain true. That you don't leave. You don't abandon And not only that, but you equip us with everything we need. What more could we possibly need than your Spirit who gives us a spirit of power and love and self-control? Those things being tempered 
not held over in, in some sort of dominant way. And Father, for those of us who, who feel strong because, because there are natural abilities within us, we're naturally good leaders, we're naturally strong, we're naturally eloquent or whatever it may be, and yet you haven't called us to stand on our own strength, but you've called us to submit, to lay those things down at your feet that you may indwell us and use those things of which you have given us for your glory. For Father, as we just sang a minute ago, we want all glory to be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. And so Father, give us this vision, this hope, this understanding as we consider a new year. That we would place our focus on the gospel. That we would place our focus on what you want for us. That you want to use us to do, to accomplish, knowing that you've given us all that we need. For we pray this in Christ's name.